topic. Philip Jackson. Hmm. What's up, dude? Sing it. Sing it, K-Man. Yeah, Philip Jackson. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) There's a, a... let me quit. Let me quit a couple. Let me quit a couple of these apps because yeah. yeah, you know yeah, its yeah. problem is uh, when when you're not doing the like video upload piece um, uh-huh. on Riverside, then uh-huh. uh, everything works fine. And now it's like trying to upload as we're speaking, and it's like freaking everything out. Oh, you know I mean? gotcha, 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 gotcha. Um, I yeah. have had a few people tell me that like my uh, my video for them got pixelated or whatever, but. Uh, and I've had that happen um, where the guest video got pixelated, but Riverside handles it like a friggin' champ. And um, the quality. It's super good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super good. It's amazing. Amazing. Um, dude, so what is this? Is this a Mage Talk? Is this a, is this a Kalen's Corner? Is it I like Kalen's Corner. That's It's so dope. We, the branding dude. looks great. The the concept is really fun. Um Thanks, I, I love I love that you're including Olivia in it. That's kind of fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. It looks great, dude. Thanks, man. Um, just been just been uh, having fun with it and stuff. And um, yeah, so if, um, if talking if talking Magento stuff on Kalen's Corner puts you in a box, then happy to make it a mage talk. But if it helps drive people to uh, discover Kalen's Corner, then let's do it as a KK. Okay, it's all good. Okay. Kalen's Corner was a reference to uh, Aaron's tweet saying, "Why don't you have a, a Kalen's Corner on Future Commerce?" And then I was oh, like, "Oh, okay. Oh, is there a, K- a Kalen's Corner?" I was like, "That. What that's is the not name of your safe. of your new podcast then?" The podcast. That's not the name of your podcast. The podcast. Is it called the podcast? <laughs> wow. That was a. That was a. <laughs> that I was love a, it. No, I listen to a bunch of high concept podcasts. Um, yeah. The one that. I think surprises everybody is there's a George Lucas pod. Have you heard of the, the George Lucas show? No, no, no. It's a, it's a high concept podcast where someone pretends it's a, it's a comedian who yeah. pretends to be George Lucas hosting okay. a, uh, a, a fictional late night show. And so, uh, his, his so like co-host is Watto from episode one of, uh, so like an in-universe character who is like the slave owner of Anakin and his mother in episode one of, of Star Wars. And so <laughs> I remember that guy, <laughs> the yeah, like super, a, the super a, ugly, like, like, uh, yeah. like gremlin type dude. Yeah. And he's Too like, much. he flies with like, with, you know, these tiny little wings and he has like an elephant trunk inexplicably. <laughs> he's also purple. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. There's a guy who pretends to be Watto and they kind of dress up like George Lucas and Watto as if the two of them were hosting a late night show. <laughs> it's a, it is a high concept show. So I think if, a, if, a, if the world can sustain one of those shows, podcast has to be a sustainable podcast concept. It's, it's gotta be possible. Um, Actually, it's got to be possible. Will, initially, Willem replied to uh, uh, replied to a tweet, and he and he gave me that name, and I had no idea what it meant at first. I was like, I don't get it. Is this a pirate? Is this a play on like our? <laughs> and then I was like, let's let's do it, man. Um, but it's in your car. What is? I feel like what does a high concept podcast mean? What is that? I feel like when I talk to you about media and e-commerce and anything i feel like i'm talking to elon musk about how uh, to create rockets like no so uh, high far concept me. means high concept really means that you you have a a really like well-defined clever hook for the reason why something should exist mm. right and whether that's your show format is a uh you know, is novel in and of itself, mm-hmm. you know, that is a concept of a show. Mm-hmm. A good example would be mystery science theater 3000. Mm-hmm. You remember that show from comedy central? I yeah. You remember vaguely. It. I don't, I, the name sounds very familiar, but I don't think I ever watched it. So mystery science theater 3000, which most people abbreviate as MST three K is a good example of a high concept television show. Mm-hmm. The idea is we want to be able to run reruns of these otherwise, you know, 
really crappy B movies that mm. we can afford because nobody really wants to watch these shows. Right. And some right. of them are so old, they're black and white. They're like basically in the public domain. So we want late night programming that mm. we can run, uh, advertising against that's pretty cheap to produce. Mm-hmm. But how do we get, how do we do that in a way that makes people interested in it? Well, uh-huh. here's the fun thing. What if we pretend that these are, you know, two fictional, like handmade puppet robots that are in space with a human who <laughs> their whole job is to watch these shows and they're forced to watch these movies, these old movies. And uh-huh. what if those people are really funny and they kind of just make fun of the show and, and the movie the whole time? <laughs> right. That's the concept. In Got reality, it. Nobody would ever watch these movies ever. Right. But in in the practice is like the concept of being forced to watch this movie and make fun of it along the way is a clever way of pulling off, you know, pulling off what is effectively just running B movies in the overnights. Okay. And it became a cult classic, uh, MST three K. And you see a lot of that happening now in podcasting. Um, there's a lot of people, there's a, there's a podcast that exists, uh, called um the the swap cast um Mm -hmm. which only which is basically a a a video it's a video review podcast where they only cover Mm -hmm. they only watch movies or tv shows wherein a body swap has taken place (laughs) so freaky friday is you know the seminal work in that space but Uh, there's like episodes of csi and there's uh, episodes of (laughs) of jag uh, you know, there's, there's like all this... these, like, there's like a never ending trove <laughs> yeah. of movies and TV shows wherein people have swapped bodies. Right there. So, so there's this, um, That's a high concept podcast. okay. I, f- I still feel like high concept sounds to me like something that would be lofty or very literary or artistic or something. Um, anyways, I'm going to, I'm going to Wikipedia so I can fully, fully grok, but, um, there's this, um, I don't know if you've heard of Kyle Dunnigan. He's a comedian. He has this um, YouTube channel where he does face swap videos. Um, so he'll oh my gosh, yeah. So he'll cre- he'll do a whole thing where he'll face swap Biden or like random Caitlyn Jenner and Ben Shapiro, all these random people, and he'll smash them together into some crazy episode. Um, where he's playing all the characters do it using a face swap and it's absolutely hysterical. I just, I can't, I can't stop watching it. It's, he does a Rocky. The, Balboa. the three, the three people that you mentioned, the three <laughs> people that you mentioned feels like this is a nuclear topic that I, I don't know enough about to say whether I like it or not. So yeah. I'm going to yeah. refrain from making any comment. That is also, that could be a really interesting hook for a show as you know, as you know, doing pseudo, you know, pseudo conservative political media without actually doing it. Like it's, it's a comedy show. Right. And the hook is, you right. know, I'm, I'm injecting the comedy by using face swap. Of course, that was a skit that recur, that was a recurring skit on, um, on late night with Conan O'Brien, you know, two decades ago. Um, he would do the, the like mouth swaps. I don't really? know if you remember that. That was a lot no, of fun. I don't remember that at all. Back in the day. Of course, nowadays. I feel like By I the just way, lost this your is a video. total non sequitur. It, like, it looks like I lost your video, unless uh, it's just no. My video is on. Okay, uh, let's. Cool. All right, I'm sure it'll pop back in. It's probably just recording locally, nice and beautifully as it does. I'm sitting as still as I possibly can. Maybe that's the problem. I've I've done. I've gone into mannequin mode. Well, it's just um, it's not like stalled. It's a, just like black, like as if there's no signal at all. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, seen yeah. It, let's like, just assume. Stall out. Let's let's proceed assuming that it's working just fine. I yeah, don't know. yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. But so the Conan, um, the Conan. Uh, I was going to say there's there's a, a non sequitur here. I feel like I owe you an apology. Really? Okay. I have said for years that you are 18 months late on things. Yes. What I'm realizing now is that you're two years early on everything. <laughs> um, and that the way that the hype cycle works, it feels like cyclical. you're late. Yeah. But in reality, you're at the beginning of the post hype cycle, like long-term build into, <laughs> into like beyond nascency, you know, something that gains like, trust and gains a foothold, you're actually quite early to that. 
Wow. Um, so wow, when the bottom is... falls out of the hype cycle, Kalen's all in, the yeah. rest of the world moved on, but now you've recognized where the actual trend is. And so wow. I owe you a, an apology of six years of calling you out as being 18 months late on things on a podcast. Wow. In reality, you're two years early. I'm going to start making all of my bets based on what you're currently interested in. Car podcasts. The, um, no, this car face... po- I'm serious. Car podcasting could be a thing. <laughs> This face swap thing is going to go somewhere too. Um, that's that that is uh, very <laughs> that is uh, that's very flattering. Uh, you know, coming from somebody with a with a, a whole business around uh, talking about the future. Um, so I, well, I appreciate I, that. I Thank think you, I think you're a you're a trend spotter, uh, Kalen. You're a futurist. We should give you a show that um, a car based well, time travel show. Yeah, let's do that. I want to get on the Future Commerce Network. That's my goal. Um, eventually. I got to step my game up a little bit. That's um, the goal. You should you, aim higher. Let, I sh- mean, I probably should aim a little slight, only slightly higher. <laughs> but um, do you? Let me ask you this. And we're going to get to the Magento stuff very soon because I, I am sure we jonesing Why for not? some old school uh, Magento chat chatter. But do you? Enjoy, I was I was looking at the article you wrote on. Um, the thing that referenced the um, uh, the, the Walt um, the Epcot Center um, and the thing that referenced that town, oh, in, yeah. uh, that walkable town in Arizona. And I'm reading this thing, and I'm going, dude, like you are so heavy into writing. And I and I'm curious, do you like writing better or podcasting? Because I think of you so much as a podcaster, somebody that's very comfortable speaking, that enjoys speaking. But you write like, and I know you have a like a discipline. You write every day. It's a huge part of, you know, your thing. So like, what are what are mm. you, man? Are you a writer? Are you a podcaster? Are you a a mix of both? Obviously, a mix of both. But kind of a dumb question. But I I'll just answer, was like, I'll answer that with a different, with a total, in a different way. I I was never a great guitar player, but okay. I could play a little bit of every genre. Yeah, uh, I was never a great keyboard player, but I could play pretty much anything by ear, if especially yeah. if it's pop music. Um, I'm not a great singer, uh, but I could tell you what, I can do all of them. And that yeah. makes me versatile, right? And yeah. I think that, you know, there's there is a, a certain kind of a musician that is more useful as a versatile, uh, you know, generalist and can float around. That's a mm-hmm. that's a useful thing in a band uh, to have someone who can cover every every spot. It's right. really hard to find people like that. I feel right. like I, I, I'm not a great podcaster. I'm not an amazing interviewer. I'm not a great writer. The fact that I can do all of them and mm-hmm. understand what the tropes are in each of the genres, like understanding what it takes to have something passable in each of the mediums mm-hmm. gives, gives me a little bit of a different edge than anyone right. else. I know some great writers who are terrible podcasters, horrible speakers. Mm-hmm. They, they have no stage presence. Mm-hmm. I, I'm passable at best at all of mm-hmm. these things, but I think it's the combination of all of them that, uh, mm-hmm. and, and my interest in all of them that makes me a little different. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would say I'm a writer, um, so much as there is a certain kind of an audience that will never listen to a podcast and I want to be in front of them. So it's a neat, it's a means to an end. Um, Mm -hmm. and they feed each other, right? You know, this, uh, podcasting helps you have conversation that helps you kind of work out what you think about something and, and, and verbally process something. Yeah. And it's a low barrier to entry and, uh, and a really great, it's a great way to, to, uh, have high frequency of engagement on a particular yes. subject and kind of yeah. work through something. Yeah. And that helps me really solidify my position so that when I sit down to write, I have something to say. Um, right. So I, yeah, I, that's, I think that they, they work together. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I've been noticing recently that a lot of times I'm, I'm, I'm generating ideas, um, from talking to people and even if the information isn't entirely novel of, of what we happen to be talking about, just the level of engagement will spark something and I'll, and then I'll, and then I'll chase something down a rabbit hole. And, um, yeah. and I don't, um, I don't, I don't do a lot of writing. I, I try, I actually tried and you were part of the inspiration for this as so I was like, man, I gotta get, and cause it's one of those things you hear a lot is, Hey, write every day. It'll, it'll help a lot of things. And I tried to do, I tried to sit down and write and it just, 
it just didn't happen. So if I get some inspiration, I'll, I'll, I'll do it a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a mini post or something like that. Um, but, um, uh, gosh, there was something I was about to say that completely slipped in my mind, but, um, Oh, and, and the other thing that's great about Riverside, by the way, it actually gave an, a notice when that I hadn't seen at first that when your video blacked out, it said there's an internet, whatever, but don't worry, it's still recording locally. So, Oh, nice. That's pretty cool. Riverside, Riverside. is an amazing platform. Um, yeah. all, of these, all of these platforms have gotten very, very good at, at, uh, at creating, yes. like making content creation really easy. I don't know if yes. you remember what it was like when we first started. I mean, we were, you Oof. know, installing random plugins, uh, oh, uh in, man. In, in Skype and that wasn't working. So we wound up like that was recording painful. double enders and having to produce yeah. that, you know, manually. Yeah. Yeah, it was rough. The clapping, no clapping. We haven't done any clapping. We don't have um, to clap anymore. We, we haven't have clapped clap in so long. I mean, we could just clap for the fun of it if we wanted to. I remember what I was going to say, which was um, I heard uh, Tim Ferriss podcast yesterday with a guest named Annie Lamott, um, who mm-hmm. I didn't know of. She's a, a, a fiction writer. She wrote a book um, called Bird by Bird, which apparently is uh, really uh, popular. Um, among writers and, um, anyways, it it was, it was, um, I really enjoyed it. They talked about everything from writing to addiction issues to anxiety and and just a whole bunch of stuff. But what I noticed listening to her and because I listened to a ton of podcasts, but her being a writer, um, she would have so many things she would say. And, and, and none of the phrases are really popping to mind, but over and over, I would hear a turn of phrase that was so like crystallized and, be- and beautiful and, and like rhythmic um, that I, I think that's one of those things you get from, from writing, you know, is the ability to crystallize an idea, say something concisely, say something uh, really beautifully versus, you know, mm. a more of a conversational kind of a tone. But I was listening to this thing and I just kept going like, this is such a cool, um, podcast. And, and it was really, um, sticking out to me how beautifully she spoke. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. It was a good pod. That's such a, that's such an important point. Actually, the, you know, there is a, there's something that happens when you have a high frequency of content output, uh, on a podcast. I think just having said something, mm-hmm. uh, might spark an idea, but I don't know how, like the half-life of that feels shorter than having committed to prose, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Having, having written something down, there's an act of having written something down and having it searchable later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, watching this evolution of an, of an idea or a thought that, um, I don't know. I think there's, there's, it's like object permanence, uh, mm-hmm. but for, mm-hmm. you know, uh, abstract ideas, um, we, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not so familiar with Annie Lamott, but I, you know, I believe that just my own act of, of daily writing, I have to write a newsletter in, you know, a few hours time. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I've been musing for a week on what it is I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that comes at the last second. Sometimes I know exactly what it is on a Monday. Uh, but you know, it, the, the, the fact of having to write, you know, two, two big pieces a week, um, keeps me in the habit, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't have enough discipline. I don't have enough discipline just to do it for, you know, my own personal self-enjoyment. I have mm-hmm. to like contractually obligate myself right. to have to write, right. <laughs> Finding sponsors. <laughs> that's, that's. <laughs> That's the world I live in. Yeah. Um, so I find ways to sort of trick my brain into having to participate in something that I know is otherwise very good for me. Right. Um, right. And and I think we all have to find ways to trick ourselves into into doing things. In de- that's something I've been sure. thinking about a lot lately. Um, as you know, I'm. I mean, for me, I, I've been doing a lot of podcasts lately, and that's a that's a, a kind of a, one of those types of deals where I'm kind of tr- tricking myself to do it. Um, and, um, I think also I just, you know, the connection is something I enjoy, um, since I work, you know, solo and, and, you know, don't have that much human contact. <laughs> so, 
it's just like you're so well adjusted for not having any human contact i know i know i know i try i try um (laughs) but um so says you know says two former homeschooled kids uh yeah man really funny actually i'm really do you have the shed anymore so i have the shed but we're gonna we're gonna tear it down it's it's just it it's it's a bit of an eyesore. It's a massive eyesore, and we want it. We've been doing some landscaping, so we want to we want to spruce up the backyard. And um, it was it was cool. It was a cool project, but um, it uh, it you know I was able to put an AC in when it was hot, but then yeah, when it I got remember. cold, I go well okay. Let me put a heater in, and I quickly realized it's a massive fire hazard. So uh, <laughs> so so I hit the brakes on that. And then now that the car is, is working out great. It's, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's perfect. Um, but so I want to talk about the, I want to dig into the nine by nine a little bit. Um, but first a word from our sponsor, no, but first, um, on the, you should, you should, you should slip in a sponsorship. <laughs> I know. I know. That'd be slick. Um, it's funny how just having a sponsor makes a podcast feel more official. Right. It's true. It a hundred percent like makes it feel more official. Yeah, it gives people something to go skip. You need to skip something. <laughs> right. Are you so even a podcast true. if you didn't have, you know, a sync to clap, you know, a, a clap sync for a double ender and or a Casper or audible spot that everybody skips something to skip. Yeah. It's, it's like, you need something to skip. It's like the listener, if they're not engaging by fa- by, you know, tapping fast forward a couple times, you know, they're not, they're that's not how, fully. That's how, you know, you've got people like yeah. <laughs> people see that as a, as a drawback, by the way, I'm always surprised when I look at, at timeline of engagement in, um, in Apple podcasts or in, in Google or in Simplecast or where, mm. wherever it is, I'm looking at, at analytics. Mm-hmm. Very, very like the majority of people listen straight through ads. And I don't know if that's because people that's so are crazy. List, passively listening while they do other things. And it's mm-hmm. like too much work for them to go and skip around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I find it fascinating. Yeah. Also, I find it fascinating that the, where people do skip in ads uh, there's usually a big spike of interaction right before the ad. And I, I have the, the, the theory is, is that people shuttle past the ad mm-hmm. and then they're like, oh shoot. And they missed what it, wherever it came back in. And then mm-hmm. they jog back and then they're like, oh shoot, I'm still in the ad. And then they shuttle forward and they're like, oh, I missed it again. So they just go back and they listen through the ad. And that's, that's uh, a, okay. it's a really yeah. funny, and it's, it's a behavior I've noticed in myself is like yeah. in an hour long podcast and you've got a millimeter to skip through three to five minutes. It's really hard yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, so might as well what just suffer like, through three to four minutes of that. What I do, like, for example, the Tim Ferriss pod, when I'm listening in the beginning and there's the ads in the beginning, and then he does an intro as well. Although sometimes I just literally fast forward until I hear someone else's voice. That's how I know <laughs> I'm through all the introductory stuff. And, um, that, but it's funny that it's funny that you say that. Um, and, and, and actually I'm kind of curious, I don't know if you can talk about this, but I'm curious, like how you monetize future commerce. Cause I know that you have the reports, um, and, and there's sponsors of the reports and stuff like that. You've also have sponsors on the podcast. Um, and, uh, I don't know if that's something you can talk about or not, but like, do you, cause, cause like yeah. you're talking about how people just skip ads. Like, do you, yeah. well, we, we that in public? Yeah. Yeah. Is that sort oh, of baked into gonna... your model around the reports and stuff like that? Um, it, I mean, it depends on if you're, it depends on what the medium is. Right. Uh, I think contextually relevant advertising is actually a benefit because yeah. advertising provides a vehicle for discovery hearing about a service that you didn't know existed or a product that might ser- serve a need for you. If, if the creative of the ad is good and if the ad is contextually relevant to the audience, when ads are not a bad thing. Yeah. When I hear an ad right? for the first time and it's something I've never heard of on a podcast I like, I will listen to it. It's only, it's only the subsequent times that I'm not as interested, but I completely, I completely agree there if it's something I, and I that's don't. to say that every, you know, even, even in, uh, even in mass at a massive scale, you know, let's say it's audible or Casper, right? Audible or Casper, you know, were these big, big affiliate 
advertising behemoths. They spend a ton of money on acquisition mm-hmm. for the longest time. A lot of that is really just brand building, right? So they, it's not direct response where you have to go buy an uh, and you know a uh, an Audible subscription or a Casper mattress to mm-hmm. to for it to be worthwhile. Yeah, we did that for three almost three years at Future Commerce. We had a long for long term relationship with Vertex, the the tax company, mm-hmm. and Vertex had no they had very little interest in direct response engagement they didn't they weren't holding us to an account every week or month on how many signups they were getting because once they got a subscriber the chance that you abandon your tax service is very low mm-hmm. like you, you hold on to a tax service for a decade so unless you you're john mccaffey you don't want to pay taxes anymore unless you're you <laughs> Rest in peace, right? Rest in peace. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, you know, there's, I think a lot of podcast advertising is is not necessarily direct response. I think it's brand building. And I don't know that enough growth marketers think of it that way. Newsletter advertising is certainly direct response and it, it is, you know, it is a numbers game. But think about it this way. If you are, if you are a growth marketer working at a SaaS tech company, mm-hmm. you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. You're actually kind of a venture capitalist. So the mm-hmm. way that you spend money is to hedge your bets on a number of properties, hoping that one of them pays off in spades for the total of the campaign. And so you aren't looking oh, for a direct return right. on every single ad that you, every ad buy that you, you buy. What you're looking for is an aggregate return over a long time horizon that you have an outlier that justifies the spend. Mm-hmm. And that, so ad marketers or growth marketers who spend money on podcast and newsletter and on-site display ads aren't looking for a direct return on any one campaign. They're looking for a return on a series of campaigns over a period of time. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we monetize is not saying that we've, we've delivered, uh, you know, X amount of marketing qualified leads this month. It's saying that we've delivered on some form of engagement plus MQL over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. And yes, there will always be people who, for whom, uh, advertising is a barrier. Mm-hmm. And I think that the next stage of building a media business is to provide people a means of direct compensation to not have to have the advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, so either they pay you directly as a creator or you provide them with a mechanism to bypass the ads. Uh, podcasting has that built in, uh, but there's, you know, Patreon and, and other communities where you, you're providing a benefit to people who have given you a one-to-one relationship is Mm -hmm. the next phase of that. Mm -hmm. I honestly think that, you know, retail in particular and e-commerce are actually such small, uh, have such small digital penetration as far as media goes, like how many people sit around and listen to e-commerce podcasts all day? Mm -hmm. Really it's 150 to 250,000 people in the U S period. And wow. everybody, including modern retail or Digiday, um, or or uh, Retail Dive, or NRF, uh, or e e marketer, um, Brave Commerce, like there's a million podcasts, there's a million newsletters, there's a million uh, trade organizations and journalistic organizations that are trying to capture that same audience. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a losing battle over time. So the evolution of a media business is how do we take this generic idea of being able to create media that we've piloted through just delivering to one audience and now be able to do that in different contexts. The the future of account-based marketing, for instance, if you are a growth marketer, mm-hmm. is I want to be able to speak directly to a sales opportunity. Mm-hmm. How does a company like Future Commerce help Clavio or Shopify create account-based marketing entertainment, information entertainment that can be used to help them close sales cycles rather than just broad marketing. So mm. we have a content studio and, mm-hmm. and we've, you know, we built the resilient retail podcast with Kristen LaFrance. Um, you know, we're building a, uh, we've built a, a series of, uh, shows for Clavio and Shippo. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, that is, that is the other things that we're doing. So how do we make money? It's in a bunch of different ways. It's, it's not just advertising. It is also to some degree, a turnkey service for helping, you know, brands that don't want to be a media company to become a media company. Um, that's interesting. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know if any of that made sense, but that's sort of the rant. Um, yeah, no, that, that, um, that does make sense. I mean, now I'm sort of curious what the mix is and all that kind of stuff, but, but you know how I am, man. I start, I mean, 
the mix is if you want to have a scalable business, um, and you want to, and you want to take outside capital, which I think you, you know, you might need for scale these days. Um, you know, we're bootstrapped. Um, but if you want to take outside capital, what you can't do is too heavily weight, uh, your, your, uh, your overall revenue in the services component, right? If it has to max out at like 20%. Um, I think yep. you have 80% of revenue has to come from your core business, which is monetizing an audience. Right. And if, if you can't do that, you don't really have a media business, right? You have, <laughs> you have an agency. Um, right. and that's right. where I think a lot of these companies are, are going to probably struggle, especially a bunch of these like agencies turned podcasts, a- agencies turned newsletter. They all at the end of the day are trying to drive like agency business. They, yeah. They're trying to drive service revenue and yeah. I'm trying to avoid that. Like the plague yeah. I spent the last nine years helping something digital and, and then right point do that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think that that would be playing in someone else's sandbox where we're not, you know, we're not an agency um, yeah. and I don't want to be one. So. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and essentially going back to the branding thing, because thinking, thinking back to that behavior of skipping the ads, um, if we're thinking about it from a branding perspective, it's almost like that first moment where the ad plays and it says, this is brought to you by Audible. And then you fast forward. The the branding already happened, even though you think you skipped the ad and you skipped 98% of it, bam. Now, you, you know, you heard that and then you go, oh man, Audible's everywhere, Audible sponsor, or same with Clavio, things like that. Um, so that's yeah that's that's um that's interesting and that's kind of advertising 101 type stuff but it really um, but i mean it is but we all you know we're all on a different part of the journey of trying to figure out how you listen a lot of this is actually a modern work conversation right it's not about advertising or it's like we're all rediscovering independently rediscovering the same the same businesses that have existed for 200 years, uh, right? You get there. We're all going in a different, like we're going in a roundabout way to discover like fundamentals of how certain industries work over time. You get there accidentally. Um, I certainly have newspapers of a hundred years ago. We're doing the same thing that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, with newsletter and podcast, um, what I think is interesting is that the fact is modern work requires that you have, I mean, I guess requires is a, is a tough, is, is a, is a chunky phrase is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. Most people don't have one source of income in 2021, right? Most people, if you want to be a middle-class and you want to be, and and you want to ascend out of middle-class, you're going to have two to three sources of income. Got a side hustle. So what, where are those sources of income coming from? Right. Selling on Etsy. I think for a lot of Say again. Yeah. Maybe you're selling something on Etsy. Ton of people do, ton of people are doing right. that, you know, whatever, you know, some people join multi-level marketing and sell leggings and essential oils, right? Some people like, there's a lot of ways that you can make different kinds, different sources of income in 2021. Uh, when we're recording this, I, I think for, for you and me, we, we landed up on podcasting a decade ago and I, I ran with that. That's mm-hmm. one you're going to monetize this thing that you're doing as a pastime eventually, because that's how we like to ruin all the things we love yeah. is trying to make a living out of it. Right. And, um, <laughs> and that's, and that's that, right? Like I, I coded as a, for fun before I coded as work. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I did thought leadership with air quotes. I was doing thought leadership for fun. Uh, and I was, you know, hanging out on stack overflow for fun before I did it, you know, professionally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, you have to monetize these things that are passions in order to, I think, stay as part of the, like the ascendancy of the middle class. If you're going to be middle class, you kind of need uh buku bucks to keep flowing in. And unfortunately that's a hamster wheel that we're all stuck on right now. It's, you know, content and influencer and affiliate, and mm-hmm. it's kind of a never ending slog. Um, yeah. I feel bad for my kids, honestly. I know it's, uh, yeah, it feels like the middle class is kind of disappearing, and um, you know, the and a lot of people in tech are doing fine, right? But but um, but because uh, you're getting on the other side of the middle class, but yeah, it's it's. Um, I do think about. I think, man, what kind of work? Like twenty, thirty years from now, with 
robotics, AI. Like, where's AI going to be 30 years? Where's robot? Where's self-driving car? Like, what is... And then, you know, if if polarization continues and everything else, what kind of a crazy hellscape <laughs> that'll be? Like, kind of cool also. Like, there are lots of cool elements to it. Interactive TikTok video banners on every corner of, you know, who knows? <laughs> and, like... Gosh, it's just, I'm going, what? You know, and my kids are so, um, like old school and traditional, like, you know, they're, 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 uh, you know, my daughter's in the house on the prairie and she, you know, they're, you know, she wears this house on the prairie dress and she just was like, and I'm going like, and it's, it's the best. It's adorable. I love it. And, um, but I'm going like, what world are they going to live in? You know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, can I ask you a question? And, yeah. and I hope this doesn't, I hope this doesn't come as like any sort of indictment of, no, no, no. Uh, you know, of Go the parenting it. style. Um, I wrestle with this cause I feel like my kids are pretty sheltered. Um, in fact, oh, my, yeah. my kids, uh, my, my youngest daughter Pierce came downstairs last year and was like, dad, I want to try fruit loops because they're the fruitiest cereal that exists. And I'm like, yeah. Where did you find out about Fruit Loops from? <laughs> and she she's like, oh, I just saw, I it was on this television show I was watching, and I started thinking about it. I was like, she has never seen advertising right. because her whole life right. has been Netflix, right? right? Like she she just happened to be watching, you know, uh, a Nickelodeon, which was like never ever did they watch network television right. in any right. way or, right. or or cable television. It's the first time she's seeing advertising, and so it's like working on her. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I started, I had this like almost like crisis of, uh, of conscience as to how, am I preparing my kids for the real world by protecting them from it in, in the meantime, or yeah. am I maximizing their, their innocence of childhood that they would look back on fondly? It's like, this is going to go one of two ways. Either they're going to be really, really proud of us as parents and like giving them a childhood that, you know, that didn't cause them to have to grow up too soon, or they're really going to resent us for not pre preparing them for yeah. what the world actually is. Yeah. And it's not going to be anywhere in the middle. It's not like, going to be anywhere in the middle, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, yeah. What do you think of that? Do you ever wrestle with that? I do. I do because they have this very, um, you know, sort of, uh, uh, protected environment that they're growing up in. And, it, and it's, it's been beautiful to see that. I mean, my oldest daughter is 12 now and I see her maturing. I see, I see how smart and intelligent and caring and social and articulate she is and how creative she is. And, all that. and I'm going, man, this is now math is not her. We got to work on math a little bit, but, um, but I, I go, man, it's really beautiful how I see her maturing. And then I, I go, what is going to happen when she turns 18 or whatever the age is where she flies the coop and goes out in this crazy world? Um, yeah. And I don't know, man. I, I, I really, I really don't know. I mean, look at the, look at, look at the Amish, right? Honestly, like they have a very sort of, they're, Idyllic. Show title. <laughs> yeah. Show title. Look at the Amish. They have this a very idyllic life, right? And and then they leave on the th what's it called, Room Springer or whatever. And, and and a lot of times they you never heard of this before? Well, I've heard of it, but I don't watch all the Amish reality shows enough <laughs> it's to, a, to have all the names yeah. memorized. So they then they the go nuts. Down. And most of the time they come back because they think it was better that way. Um, so it's kind of both and like they have that moment where they go crazy and then it can be both, you know, right. It can be both. So I have it, no idea, man. I got no answers. It's terrifying. You know, it's, it is terrifying. It's terrifying. Um, we're all, I mean, I'm going to screw my kids up in some way, right? Don't all parents screw their kids up to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. a lot of them are like overcorrections, yeah. right? Totally. Uh, if you were, if you were extremely sheltered as a child, you probably had like, you either are going to be like a completely overcorrect the other way with your kids, or yeah. you went so freaking wild on your own that you like repeat the sins of your parents. I don't know. Yeah. It, there's, you know, there's these like dramatic swings, uh, that I think happen from generation to generation. And, you know, it's one of the things I think a lot about, uh, especially, um, in the way that we create content for, 
future commerce is uh, how do how do these generational like is there a generational divide? You know, are there are there really differences in the way that generations you know see and approach problems or or come to terms with uh, or create culture? Um, or coalesce around what things are culturally important or relevant. And I, I, you know, I'm going to be biased or, or I'm going to be, I'm going to look at that through my own lens of experience. Like that's what's going, that's how everybody looks at everything. Right. And so I can't help but say, oh, wow. You know, like I had such a sheltered childhood and then, um, you know, I, I, you know, how does, how does my own experience layer into what I'm see what I see happening in the world? How does that inform? I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know that I actually think about it as much as I instinctively react to and, 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 and react to things or how I instinctively just go about, you know, parenting or, right. I don't know. It's all instinctual. I don't think it's intellectual. Right. Right. I think so. Too. I don't know. I, I'm, I, I took us down a weird path. Sorry. We uh, went, I have not much more to say about this. We, we went down a wild path. We, we really only have two choices here. We can, we can uh, talk more about uh, Amish uh, life or we can take a left turn and talk about the Magento Fork a little bit. Just, just a touch. Just a, just a touch. Basically... Um, I, um, uh, I just, I have sort of felt a little bit re-energized by this whole thing and it's gotten me feeling, I guess, a bit nostalgic at the same time, which has got me thinking about the good old days where we, we would have a good, you know, argument about a particular topic. And I also was imagining you probably coming down a little bit more. You know, you, you've moved up market, obviously, very successfully in, in your career. And much of the ecosystem has, you know, and is doing great. And then you've kind of got the the open source community, the, the SMB, whatever that is. And and um, and there's there are different use cases. There are different needs. There are different interests there. Um, so I, I was literally just thinking, like, I just want to talk to Philip about this. And like, you know, I know by now everything's been said. There's nothing left to say. You probably, you know, I mean, don't have much to say on the topic, but, um, if I had, if I had a lot to say, I probably would have said it during, during the Twitter dust. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that everybody listening to this at this point, this far into this Kalen's corner or what the the podcast, um, (laughs) already has some perspective or has, has some awareness of what you're talking about. So we'll just dive in. Yeah. Um, I find it fascinating that like, let let me, let me give you, let me give you what I think is happening. There is an organization here, um, Hoover and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, Willem and, and, and those other, you know, and the other folks who were the early signatories Mo, to uh, Mosca, this, you know, Mosca, the, the Magento open source community Alliance. Sure. Right? Why not? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those early, like they, they have come out and very explicitly said, this is not about a fork. This was trying to have a conversation that, you know, forecast a, a number of eventualities. Mm-hmm. And what I think is. There's a, there are people who just want to watch the world burn and love like bringing, you know, and love bringing uh, marshmallows to the bonfire. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say you're one of them, but I think you're one of them. Like you okay. just want any kind of like dust up that you, you can you know, like you, you love it because it's reinvigorating some kind of excitement or any kind of conversation that is like bringing some that like t- is taking what is actually an apathetic you know, open source community that sort of like was dormant and reigniting something and any kind of passion is better than apathy. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of think that's what's happening is people cheering it on are the kind of people who just love to see, you know, some kind of excitement or controversy, controversy, even if it's good or bad, like it doesn't matter what it is. It's like we're, we're there's a conversation happening. And in reality, I don't, I, I, not to be pessimistic, I don't think that, I don't think that, and, and, and I, I'm happy for someone to clip this in a year or two's time and, and say, I'm part of the problem and not part of the solution. 
I, I think the ship sailed on massive open source uh, community investment in e-commerce platforms, period. I think it's gone um, because there are more exciting things in the world to work on and there's more money to be had in AI and crypto. And that's, you know, whether or not we want to say developers chase the money or not, you're chasing where the community is going and where the jobs are available. And that's where the capital is at the moment. It's in AI, machine learning, crypto, and those supportive technologies. And, you know, and that's where the bulk of open source contribution is going to be at this moment in time. And if you are not in those areas, like you are probably an old guy in the space and you're a curmudgeon and you're a little crusty and you know, you've, you, you're clamoring for the old days again, but the old days are gone, dude, they're gone. They're not coming back. So this whole idea around a fork is to serve an, you know, uh, an ever decreasingly, you know, uh, uh, an ever smaller community of, uh, and by the way, I'm the one who's written a piece about on future commerce about, you know, an apologist for open source and saying that like there is still a case for open source in the world and e-commerce. But I think that that's not getting bigger over time. It's getting smaller over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a fun thing for us all to get excited about. I don't know how much will actually come of it and, or, or how many people will stick around for the next decade trying to build it, which is what, Ultimately, I think everybody wants. I just don't think that the the market for an open source e-commerce, you know, developer ecosystem is is viable at this point. Now, mm. there could be an inflection point. I said this on the Mage Talk, the last Mage Talk episode that we've done at this time with Villem, which is an inflection point could be that there's something that happens economically where we go into a time of economic distress or uh, a drawdown in, in, um, uh, you know, GDP or uh, economic growth slows. And then people are going to try to eke margin out of their e-commerce channels and paying Shopify two to 3% becomes, you know, a liability and not a benefit. Mm -hmm. Maybe then there's a case for open source and we'll see an exodus of all the SaaS cloud platforms to, you know, a bunch of, uh, to a bunch of, um, open source platforms. But the question then that I would ask is, well, is Magento going to be the one <laughs> at that point? Is it mm. the newest you know, project with the most, you know, recent uh, investments in technology? I think if, if Mosca can provide that, then yes, but that's my yeah, rant. And that's the rant. Literally the only thing I have to say I, about it. I, yeah. And, and, um, I think a lot of people do perceive me that way as that. I just like, um, to see, want to see it burn, you know? No, I, I mean, I was, I, believe, I was being, I was joking. Uh, okay. But, yeah. Okay. Well, it was funny because there, um, uh, there's this Twitter account, uh, Magento pirates or something. And, and, uh, oh, is it? yeah. And I, I saw it and it, and it was like anti Adobe, um, you know, it was kind of a deal. And I see it and I go, oh, that's, that's funny. You know, it was just this new account, you know, and, and then, um, and then, uh, the next day I'm getting DMS, like asking if that's me, if I created that account and I'm like, uh, no. And then people were freaking out about it, that it was, um, you know, spreading FUD or whatever. And I'm just like, guys, it's, it's a, it's a random account with eight followers. But I think people perceive me that way on some level. And I, I mean, I guess you're probably right in the sense that controversy is going to drive eyeballs to some extent. But I, I find myself being kind of inspired by what they're building, even though it is small, maybe even because it's small. I think that they have a use case, um, which I see a lot of parallels between Whova, which is obviously just a front-end framework, and the rest of this, which is which is a lot more than just the front end, but I see a lot of parallels in people saying, "Hey, let's 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 take a simpler approach. Let's uh, do something that can drive down costs, that can be easier to use, that can, developers can work with. A small team can mm-hmm. get a lot done, iterate quickly, create something valuable that works for their relatively small use case, but then can grow. And like I see Hoover growing, I, I can imagine this growing over time." And something that they really are committed to long-term. It's not just a short-term, like, let's cause some chaos type of a thing. But it's really, Willem really wants to, uh, you know, Magento in this open source incarnation to have a really long, fruitful life lifetime, even if it's for a relatively small segment of the market. So that's inspiring to me. Um, and, um, 
you know, we'll see where it goes. Um, I, I don't no, know. I, I, feel, I think that I is wanna, inspiring, yeah. right? Like I just learned about a foundation that exists that, uh, you know, uh, applies for and receives grant money to, to try to help, uh, support independent writers, uh, mm-hmm. who aren't necessarily part of a writer's guild that are disabled in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, someone who, who wants to be part of, uh, you know, writing for Hollywood or for television and wants to be part of the film industry, but otherwise feels like they don't, they, they, they can't really get a leg up or, or, uh, get you know, to break into the industry because, you know, they have some sort of disability. Mm-hmm. There's a foundation out there in the world that's fighting for them and mm-hmm. is trying to appropriate, you know, capital to mm-hmm. them to help mm-hmm. them succeed. Right. Like that is a noble cause. Right. It's an extraordinarily small niche right. of you know, disabled writers that are right. like to say that that shouldn't exist would be a huge mistake. Like there's right. enough capital in the world to right. help these people to, to, to break into an industry like that should exist. And, and no one, like what I'm saying is like that foundation is probably not going to, you know, have the scale that like the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation would have in trying to change something in the world. Like there are varying, varying levels of skill uh, of varying levels of cultural, um, uh, uh, impact that any, any, you know, open source or not-for-profit or non-profit right. organization or association is going to have in the world. This absolutely should exist. Mosca could come along with, you know, major association. Maybe there's something really gr- great and tangible that we can all benefit from, uh, out of it. What I'm, what I'm concerned about is that the conversation went very quickly to a fork and the fork is, is a line in the sand saying that from here on, you know, we're no longer part of the larger organization. We're going our own way. And when you do that, I wonder if you're ever going to achieve an escape velocity. Um, but let, let me, let me turn the questioning back on you. Um, and I don't know, you, you asked me earlier if I divulge numbers or if I talk about strategies, I'll ask you the same. Um, you know, I perceive that Commerce Hero is probably one of the most influential, uh, you know, talent, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of the most influential forces in in recruiting and moving top tier talent amongst, you know, Magento hiring, you know, entities, whether that's a direct brand uh, or, a, you know, an enterprise that's trying to outfit a team or a startup that's trying to utilize Magento for something or an agency. And I, I perceive that, you know, this shift of Magento moving up market is something that Commerce Hero, if you had some, if you had a, if you had a thesis that Magento moving up market was bad for the market and was bad for Magento, that you could have played a very key role in changing that uh, early on by saying, yeah, I'm not going to work with, you know, giant healthcare organization. I'm not going to work with, you know, giant, you know, offshore, you know, 5,000 person body farm. Who's hiring a bunch of Indian Magento talent. Like I'm not going to work with them because they're, what they're doing is pushing this thing up market. And I don't believe that that is a good move. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's an interesting question. I think, I, I think that and and i've i've definitely benefited from the salaries going up and yeah. um i guess i've been party to uh creating some liquidity in the in the hiring market and i think that i, I don't i don't begrudge anyone that is benefiting from the move up market i think it's great like i said i think you know you're a classic example of that there's tons of people that are doing great i mean tons of people that are doing great um and are mm-hmm. not at all and, and so it's 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 a little weird in the sense that i don't have a direct i w- i guess you're i guess if i yeah that's that's an interesting point you're raising if i really wanted things to stay more grassroots right less enterprisey maybe i could have somehow um, try to go exerted in that direction. Some sort of, exerted. You know, I don't see myself really yeah. as exerting. I just see myself as like, hey, somebody says I need X, and I go, I know X. You know, I don't. Yeah. People, people go, you're inflating salaries. I go, bro, 
I asked this person no. what they want to be paid. They gave me a number. Now, maybe they, maybe they gave a high number. I don't know. I took the number and I said, here's the number. And the person said, cool. Right. And, and so, do you know what, do you know what the solve, like, uh, do you remember back in January where, uh, lumber prices were at like a 10 year high? That's not, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So do you, do you, do you, do you know that lumber prices are now back to normal? Really? No, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, the solve for high prices in the market is high, is high prices. Eventually you, you reach an inflection point where right. no one wants to pay that rate and will stop paying right. for it. Right. So there's a market demand for a developer that right. has a Magento talent at a certain rate and they're willing to, the market will withstand paying for that. I'll give you an example. Right? I mean, I had gotten quite a few people in Latin America, um, jobs with, with us companies and they would be somewhere in the 60,000, 70, 80,000, um, you know, Latin America, Eastern Europe, and, and then getting, and then they're getting into hundred and now some of them are 120, but I was talking to somebody recently at uh, two, two agencies recently that are, are, you know, they're paying reasonable market rates and they're like, we're, we're not going to do 120. We're just not like, um, uh, they're, they were like a hundred we could do, which listen, that's a lot of money for, yeah. uh, for, for a lot of places in Latin America. And so it, it, it was almost like they hit that, that, uh, limit and they're just, both of them were like, we're not going to do that. You know? So that's true. Yeah. So you're yeah. seeing that play out. You're seeing that play out in real time. The, the, the point that I'm trying to get to, or the point I'm going to make here is there's the reason that prices can continue to surge upward is because of relative uh, the, the amount of demand relative to the amount of supply in talent. If you have no supply and you have a growing demand, the prices will go up, right? This is Adam Smith, basic laws of economics. This yep. is this, it just, it's, it's basic one oh one stuff. If, if someone is willing to pay, you know, $180,000 for a developer, even if that developer five years ago was making, you know, 60 or $70,000. It's because there is no one else in the market to compete with them on price. Right. So the, the, the challenge that I have is the, uh, this, this, like, I don't want to say like criticism of Magento moving up market. It could only have ever gone in two directions. You either have an oversupply of developers, which create downward pressure on the market. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and you have an, an abundance of agencies all competing on price. There's too many choices of agencies to go with. The, de the price will come down to compete, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or you have a, uh, a diminishing number of developers and agencies who can fulfill the demand. And so the prices go up. It's not moving up market or down market. It's losing developer or gaining developer traction. And so really the challenge, the, the problem here is not that Adobe decided it wanted to go up market with Magento. It's that Magento created a, a product that is too hard to learn and not a developer experience that anyone wants to live for 10 years building on. Mm -hmm. So they find something else to do. That's the problem, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we can, we can blame Adobe for the lack of community. It was actually Magento's architecture decisions that have created the market that we all live in at the moment. It's not developer apathy around Adobe being a bad steward of Magento. It's that we hired a bunch of eBay PhDs, uh, when Magento was taken private and, and they created a system that fundamentally everyone doesn't like to work on. Yeah. Period. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's an interesting, um, so then the only people left who can pay the prices that the 20 developers in the world, you know, that are left working on Magento, uh, uh, want to make are the big enterprises. That's it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. yeah, we need a reset and I'm hoping Mosca can do that because we do need a reset. Um, but I, I think the days of open source are, are, you know, are like open source as like, a, a an aggregator of community because it's open source. I think that that's going to be a, a tough hill to climb. I think you need something more valuable, bigger, um, and, and more, uh, uh, yeah, more, I don't want to say more virtuous, but something that's bigger than just the fact that it's open source to kind of coalesce people around. And what Shopify yeah. did was they gave everybody, everybody is like, 
oh, you, you, you're, you, you have a path to entrepreneurship yep. through our software. Right. Yep. And that's, I think something that is, you know, fundamentally resonant again in a world where you can no longer have just one job or one stream of income. Yeah. 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 I think that, um, the, um, you know what I'm sensing? What? I'm sensing that you always think you want to podcast with me and then you get on with me and hear me rant and you're like, no, I remember now. I this love is what it. it's like. It's fantastic. This is exactly <laughs> what I needed. This is exactly what I was imagining. Um, yeah, the, you know, the architecture, like I remember thinking and, and saying like SaaS really has beaten open source as far as at the product level. Um, now, SaaS relies on open source throughout the stack, which is great, right? Lots of libraries and things like that. But there's too much complexity. There's too many security issues. Um, however, it, it does come back to the architecture a little bit. I think about Laravel, for example, which is which is really – I think thriving in a different way. And a lot of times I know a lot of people in the Magento ecosystem that are building a SaaS e-commerce app on Laravel, right? It's true. So, so that's an interesting kind of a twist on the whole thing. And, um, it kind of comes down to how good the product is and how good the architecture is like Hoova somehow is gaining market share, um, because it's just good. Right. Laravel is just good. Like, I think in many ways, it's interesting what you said about the Magento architecture kind of being the root cause of all this thing, all this stuff. And I, I'm going to have to chew on that because it's kind of the first time I've, I've thought about it in that context. But in many ways, ever since the founders left, I mean, ever since Yoav left, I think there's been like a little bit of a downward march, you know. Uh, in some ways, I mean, I think I'm a big believer in founder-led companies and products and th and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 it's. I mean, it's interesting. Um, and to some it's people, funny, it's not though, at all interesting. <laughs> it might. Yeah. I mean, we're nerds, so we we're nerding out about one one particular thing. Um, there are plenty of. There are plenty of companies and, and software products in the world who have had huge, like landmark, you know, uh, uh, who have had massive uh, effects on the culture, um, and have had, you know, who have just, you know, who have had outsized impact on the way that you know we all transact online. Yeah. Like, what is? Who, who, what's the name of the CEO of Zoom? Do you know? I don't oh. know. I, you know, I can't like, remember. I read yeah, who, who yeah. founded Zoom? Who knows? I don't know. Um, but everybody freaking uses it. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, that's that's the thing here is um, I, I do think that BDFL, you know, uh, uh, you know, bene, um, benevolent dictator for life, is a thing that open source uh, products and projects uh, benefit from is having an inc incredibly clear vision and to mm -hmm. rally the community around that vision. Um, and when you just have a, you know, a flat organization, it's, it's, I think it's really, really tough. Um, there are very few projects uh, benefit from having just a flat organization yeah. or consortium of ideas. Like they, they typically, they typically spiral into infighting and wind up at stagnating very right. quickly because they can't, they, there's no one to lead a, a vision for people to just say I'm in or I'm out. Yeah. And we've seen that a lot in programming languages too. Like, you know, PHP went through its, its era of stagnation because of that. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Zend as a, you know, as a platform kind of fell apart due to some of that. And then it's right. sort of commercial roots and being a commercial product. Right. Um, by the way, so I, I don't, I, yeah. maybe PHP is the problem here too. Like yeah. it's kind of the old guy scripting language right. and it has a reputation that it'll never, ever, you know, it's been object oriented and very performant for 10 years now, Yeah. but it like, there's no turning the tide on that, you know, on the perception that it's not performant and that it's, yeah. you know, a functional scripting language. Yeah. Like it's a, I've, um, I haven't done much coding at all recently. I've been no coding it up with my, uh, air tape and, and there's this app that builds a, a site on top of Airtable. But just yesterday yeah. I, I wrote some JavaScript to um to uh to to kind of plug a little bit of a of a gap in what the thing could do. And um it was it was fun. It was like I was I, I, I saw that. that. That was really cool. I had that yeah. moment where 
I was trying. I, I wanted to get back home to go for a run because I try to go for a run every at the end of my day before dinner time. Wait, you're running, dude? Yeah, yeah. But now I didn't know that. Well, you honestly, I shouldn't even say the word running in your presence because you run for like days at a time and you run hundreds of miles. I run for 18 minutes at a, at a at, at a time. Okay, I run around my little. That's good. But I try to do, you know, so I do stretching in the morning. I do the gym in the middle of the day, do some lifting. And at the end of the day, I try to get a quick, a quick run in, you know, two miles. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's probably a mile or two. My, my, uh, you know, my ankle still flares up on me, even though I've lost quite a bit of weight, but, but, um, Mm. but it, it, it does get better. It's, it just very gradually gets better over time. Um, and I'm getting, you know, to where I'll, you know, I'll do that more often and stuff. And I just, I, I feel a little bit stronger every, every day, every week. And, um, it just, it's great, man. I finally got to the point where, you know, you see those, those, those steady improvements in your health and in your strength. And then you're just like, ah, like let's, you know, like you just want to keep seeing that progress. Whereas in the beginning, it's just such a slog and it doesn't feel like you're making any progress. And, um, so yeah, dude, it's, it's, um, just, you know, grinding away, grinding away. But, but I had, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say that's, that's really awesome, man. Yeah. You're looking pretty shredded. Thanks, man. Not, not quite, not quite shredded, but that's the uh, that's the goal. But I had this moment where I was working on this little JavaScript thing yesterday, and I was like, "Oh, I got to get home." But I was, I was, I was too like zoned into it that I couldn't pull myself away from it. And I literally, I haven't had that coding feeling in a long time. Mm. You know, where you're just like your mind is literally like your mind is glued to the code, and you can't pull yourself away. It's kind of a <laughs> It's like, it's a bit of a problem, but it's kind of a good, you know, it's a good problem. I need, I need to find a a side project or some, something to have that feeling again. I haven't had that in a very long time. That, um, it's exactly what I'm saying. I hadn't had that feeling and it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a unique, I miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, one of these days I'm going to code something again. I I was looking on my GitHub and I, it said, uh, uh, it was all white, and it said uh, this user hasn't had any uh, code uh, activity in over 365 days. And I thought to myself, <laughs> achievement unlocked. Um, right. I'm going to have to put one green square on there eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been great, man. Yeah, Thank man. you for making space for this. Oh uh, man, it's fun. I wanted to try to dive into the nine by nine. I know I would wouldn't even be able. Oh, it's rap. fine. I, I, uh, we could do that at some other time. You don't need uh, this. I appreciate you, you have, paying attention to it at all. A, anyway, thank you. You have a whole marketing uh, machine around that, so we you, do. You know. I'm very proud of of uh, the FC team. Uh, what a cool, what a cool company. Um, it's such a cool thing, and uh, there's really, really smart people. Um, it's a really neat thing. I get to hustle on, on the side. That's cool, man. I'm, it's really cool to see you guys doing so well and making a, making a mark, making a mark in the world and the internet. All right, man. Uh, any last things to add here for we, for wrap it up? All right. No, thank you. Keep inspiring people. Keep inspiring. Keep doing what you're doing. We love to see it. Thanks, sir. Well, thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you sometime soon.